0: opportunities to serve there's a place for you I'm glad you tuned in our scripture this morning comes from the book of Revelation it's from chapter 3 of the book of Revelation this is what I must write to the angel of the church in Laodicea and this is John of Patmos sharing his vision with the early church I the one, I am the one called Amen. I am the faithful and true witness and the source of God's creation. Listen to what I say. I know everything you have done and you are not cold or hot. I wish you, either, I wish you were either one or the other. But since you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. You claim to be rich and successful and to have everything you need but you don't know how bad off you really are. You are pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Buy your gold from me. It has been refined in a fire, and it will make you rich. Buy white clothes from me. Wear them, and you can cover up your shameful nakedness. Buy medicine for your eyes, so you will be able to see. I correct and punish everyone I love. So make up your minds to turn away from your sins. Listen, I am standing and knocking at your door. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will eat together. Everyone who wins the victory will sit with me on my throne, just as I won the victory and sat with my father on his throne. If you have ears, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The book of Revelation is a book of comfort. Say that with me. The book of Revelation is a book of comfort. Comfort, right. It's a book that terrifies many of us, but it doesn't need to. It's a book of comfort that was written to a frightened and persecuted church. The writer employs fantastic imagery of elders sitting on golden thrones with with winged creatures flying around over a sea of onyx. A green horse appears, symbolizing uh, envy, and and a gray horse, a red horse, a black horse, later a white horse. Earthquakes rumble through the pages of Revelation. There are angels and clouds of smoke and lampstands and the blowing of many trumpets. A lot of these symbols are symbols that the early church, that the readers of Revelation would have understood It's like a coded language that was meant to comfort the Christians on the one hand, but meant to confuse the Romans, the powers that be, the persecuting powers. It was meant to confuse them on the other. So Christians would be comforted. Romans would simply be confused. They wouldn't worry about banning this book because it was just nonsense. It was something they didn't understand. And thereby this book could make its rounds. It can circulate and comfort the early church. Just when you think the writer of Revelation couldn't be any more vivid, a dragon appears with seven heads and and ten horns on top of these seven heads. The dragon, of course, is slain. The beast rises from the sea. Of course, the beast represents Rome. It represents, represents the power that persecutes. The beast rises from the sea. One hundred pound hailstones fall from the heavens and crush those who are evildoers. The beast, the dragon, Babylon. This is language meant to describe the persecutor of the church. And that is the Roman authorities, the government. And all these powers, all of them, will be defeated in these uh, science fiction battle scenes that the writer John of Patmos describes. The nations who persecute the church will be brought down with a tumbling crash definitively and once and for all. An angel descends from heaven in a a shaft of white light. The nations fall on their knees worshiping God. A new heaven and a new earth will dawn after all of these great and terrible battles. And Jesus, the Lamb of God, reigns. Good has overcome evil. That's revelation. Revelation. Good has overcome evil. A word of what? C-O-M-F. Comfort. A word of comfort for the church. Not a word meant to terrify the church or make the church feel uneasy or uncertain about God's grace. No. It's a word of comfort. God's goodness overcomes evil. The early church read this. What we might call George Lucas's first draft of the screenplay for Star Wars. Uh, The church read this. They found comfort, not terror, but comfort. They were comforted to know that God is supreme. God rules. God wins. If there is a cosmic battle, God will win it. In Jesus Christ, God already shows us that not even the powers of death can defeat God. So what do we have to fear? God's power cannot be bested. It lives forever and ever. And it reigns ultimately then. We don't need to be afraid. That's the book of Revelation. That's the book of Revelation. A great comfort to those who are tired, to those who sometimes are afraid, gripped and paralyzed by fear. It's easy for preachers to say, and for angels in Scripture to say, do not be afraid. But, oh, there's a lot to be afraid of. So the book of Revelation comes, and it calms us, it helps us, it eases our anxiety. For those who sometimes feel overwhelmed by the the vicissitudes of life, the book of Revelation settles us down. If you are in the foxholes of battle, you are wondering if you will win or not. And the answer is, of course, we know this from experience, we may lose the battle. But God wins the war, and that's the message of Revelation. God wins the war. Ultimately, God wins. God's peace prevails. Julian of Norwich said, in the midst of the Black Plague, in the midst of her friends dying, and in the midst of such uncertainty, she said, and she believed, and we do too, all will be well, all will be well, all manner of everything. Will be well. Well, there's much in life that frightens us, of course. And the message of revelation, it still offers comfort. I was flipping through channels uh, Friday night, and this is what I saw. Jimmy Stewart races to the cabin in a horse and buggy, comes to a screeching stop, runs in, that lumbering tall man, grabs the door, storms in. How is she? He desperately asks. It was a false labor the woman says at the stove. He flings open the bedroom door and kneels beside his wife's bedside. She's delirious. She's wet with fever. Will she survive? Will Jimmy Stewart and his cowboy wife walk off into a a sunset? We don't know. It's a trembling situation. If we stop the movie right there, life just hangs in the balance. The message of revelation is that life doesn't hang in any balance. Life instead is safely and securely and eternally in the hands of God. There's no balance, there's no no if. There's no wonderment about how this is going to turn out. This is, this is the message of revelation. God's seen the whole movie. God has seen the whole movie. And in the end, things will turn out well. Sure, sure, life can be difficult, of course, yes. Jimmy Stewart's wife may or may not survive the fever. We don't know if the baby will ever be born. We just don't know. In the ancient church, they certainly knew that they might not survive, and some did not. They saw this with their very own eyes. There's no sugarcoating this, this torment and this storm. No sugarcoating at all. But that's precisely when John of Patmos swoops in with his message from from heaven, this vision. God swoops in and comforts the church with this, with this action movie of a book. God doesn't lose. God won't lose. That's not in God's DNA. That can't happen. And because God wins, we who love God win too in some ultimate cosmic sense. We win also. The victory is ours. So don't invest in gold from anybody else, the writer says. This is what Jesus is saying to the church. Invest in gold that's been rightly refined from God. Don't call on powers that will fail. Call on God. Don't call your preacher. Call on God. Don't call the, uh, uh, the fire department. Well, you do if the house is on fire. But, but don't trust things and people and nations and political parties or schemes that will let you down. Trust in God. Trust in God. Now, of course, the book of Revelation doesn't give us a picture of how our lives are going to turn out. The book of Revelation doesn't give us a snapshot into the future. Some thinks it does or should. And if we read Revelation to learn such things, we're expecting things from that book that that book will not deliver. Right? But we are given reason in these pages to trust in God to lean on God, to call on God, to live for God. We must keep this big picture in mind. Remember in the book of Genesis, that's what Joseph does. Do you remember that story? The story of Joseph? It starts on the 37th chapter of Genesis and rolls all the way off and on through the 50th chapter. Joseph keeps in mind the big picture. Remember, he's the youngest son at that time of Jacob, of Father Jacob. Little Benjamin hasn't yet been born. Um, and so because he's the child of Jacob's old age, he's Jacob's favorite boy. And his ten elder brothers, well, they're happy about that, aren't they? <laughs> they? They rejoice that Dad has a favorite. Isn't that great? Dad likes one of us more than the rest of us. No, the ten brothers are jealous They're upset, and so they do what what ten brothers ought to do, you know, what, what you've probably done to your little siblings. They threw Joseph in a pit and sold him to Midianite or Ishmaelite traders. We're not sure. Sold him into slavery. So if you believe in a biblical faith, it's okay to do this to your siblings, right? Right? So, so his brothers tell their distraught father, he didn't make it. He was out in the wilderness. Look, this is his, his multicolored uh, cloak that you gave him, but not to the rest of us. But you gave him one of these. And look, it's covered with blood. He must not have survived. And there were many tears in that house that long night. In the meantime... Remember the story. It's a big picture story. Joseph rises in the Pharaoh's household. He becomes governor, really, because he is able to interpret the Pharaoh's anxious dreams and cause the Pharaoh to calm down a little bit. Joseph is given in the role of the manager of all of Pharaoh's belongings and and the household and affairs. So when the famine comes to Canaan, the brothers, they look to rich, wealthy Egypt for support. And they travel with with their goods, with their money, to go buy grain from powerful Egypt. And who do they meet? They meet their brother. Who's the governor? Uh Uh-oh, this is trouble. They come face to face with the brother they almost, perhaps should have, killed. Joseph is now governor of the whole land. He he can decide whether these brothers are going to be given grain to survive or not. He can decide whether they'll be allowed to leave Egypt or not. He can decide whether they will be slain or not. He's got all the power. And these hapless uh, Marx brothers, they have none of it. It's a great literary reversal. It's why we keep turning pages in Genesis. I'm skipping all the good parts. You can read it yourself this afternoon. Well, at the end of the saga, uh, Father Jacob dies and the brothers think, oh my goodness, now that dad is gone, Joseph's going to feel free to do whatever Joseph will do with us and we won't survive. Joseph, who still probably harbors, should harbor uh, a grudge, will now kill us for our terrible treachery. But Joseph assures them. He will bring them no harm. He said, even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. Joseph believed that God had led him to Egypt first, to put him in a place of authority first, where he, many years later, could thereby save his family from starving. Joseph has this big picture in mind. And I think whenever we presume to know what God wanted all along... We're on thin ice, but that's exactly, by faith, what Joseph is now doing. God means this for good, for our family's good. And so here I am, and I am able and willing and interested in serving you, not in slaying you. Joseph has this big picture in mind, a picture in which God is always working God's purposes out. And what are those purposes? We know from the wide story of Scripture that the purposes of God are victory from from all things, including death. Peace that passes understanding. That's the purpose of God. Dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. Those aren't just words. That's a purpose of God. Holy shalom, wholeness. These are purposes of God. This is how the prophet Jeremiah would put it. For surely I know the plans I have for you. This is from the 29th chapter where he's talking about the new covenant. Surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Joseph understood God's bigger picture. Alan Bosak was in a South African prison in 1985, not sure whether he would survive or not facing the Josephs of the world who had all the power, and he had none of it. But he had no relation, no kinship with the judges and the police in power. And he was sore afraid, wondering whether he would win the battle or not there in the, in the foxholes of his life. The powers of apartheid would take his country who knows where, but so far, nowhere good. He was inspired in that jail by the book of Revelation of all books. This theologian was inspired by a book that he felt like applied not to his life or to modern life at all, but just some made-up Bible story that had no relevance. Nevertheless, John of Patmos came to him in that cell, and he was inspired by this book. Revelation is a book of comfort. He was comforted. He found comfort and hope in the pages of this book. God was on the side of justice. God had already overcome evil in Jesus Christ. Bosick wrote these words uh, in his commentary on the book of Revelation, which he wrote two years later after he'd been released. For all those who, true to their faith, have struggled and fought with us, gone to jail and shared pain and bread with us, they are seeing the power of the beast. They shall see the victory of the Lamb. In taking the long view, which the book of Revelation encourages us to do, we trust God because God can be trusted. God can be trusted all the way to the end. And because God can be trusted, we trust the seeds of hope that God has planted in the story of our lives will bear fruit in this life or the next, in ways we understand or in ways we don't. There was a time when Joseph on his journey had no idea why his brothers betrayed him, and he saw no good in it, only sorrow that he was rejected by his own flesh and blood. But later... Given a glimpse, he saw how God was working God's purposes out. And those brothers who had come starving to death, he could help them. And he, Joseph, could save his family. We trust God not with a lukewarm faith. We trust God full on, uh, with a red-hot faith. We trust God with an all-the-way faith not that we understand all that God's doing, only that God can be trusted with our lives and with our journey. We trust God, giving thanks to God fully with glad hearts. In the name of God the Creator, God the Deliverer, and God the Sustainer. Amen. Thank you for joining this podcast of First Presbyterian Church Champaign. Visit us at our campus at the intersection of Church and State Streets in downtown Champaign. And for more information, visit us online at www.firstpres.church. Have a great week.